the number of interviews that we did, the range of people that we spoke to, it meant that we were able to draw some really strong conclusions and even to look forward and make predictions about what we think might happen in the sector in the future. Hey everyone, my name is Alicia Miranda and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I'm the chief executive here at IG and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, businesses, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique insight into both donors and fundraisers and want to help them better understand each other. And so we bring you season two of What Donors Want, our fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising, straight from the donor's mouth. Welcome to season two of What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson Chef, and I'm the producer of the podcast, and very excited to dive into our next round of interviews. For any listeners who missed season one, we recorded a short, sharp recap of the conversations, which is the episode just before this one. And in this next season, we're going to be covering even more ground with the topics we explore, still interviewing donors, of course, but also chatting with thought leaders and researchers in the space. To kick us off, we interviewed Tilly Peacock, head of Partnership Insight at Oxfam, the globally renowned aid and development charity that hardly needs an introduction. With 70 years of experience, they work and campaign with partners in over 90 countries to alleviate poverty worldwide. I'm joined here now by Alicia, IG's chief exec, who's going to tell you a little more about our conversation. Thanks, Rachel. It feels good to be back and in our official season two. And it's kind of fun to have my voice officially part of the intro now. So, as listeners will probably know, Oxfam is both a donor to its local partners as well as a fundraiser among its key supporters. However, instead of going to interview them with their funder hat on, we've asked them on the show today to explore a particularly brilliant and insightful piece of research they have just released. It's an incredibly thorough study on donor behavior and preferences with both individual philanthropists as well as trusts and foundations. At IG, we've also had the pleasure of working with Oxfam's team on a pioneering piece of research around women and girls funding, which we're looking looking forward to releasing later this year. Shall we give her a call? Let's do it. Welcome, Tilly, to What Donors Want. We're so thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm really excited to speak to you both. Before we dive in, of course, to the meat of the interview, as you will know, um, we have also prepared a speed round of questions for you. So I know you've listened to the show before, so you probably know what's coming, but we're very... I'm incredibly (laughs) nervous. I think this is the part I was most nervous about. (laughs) The the speed round is supposed to make people feel uh, kind of comfortable. I know. But it is a lot of pressure. (laughs) Exactly. So you know the drill. We're gonna we'll, we'll spitfire some questions at you. You can say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are okay, you, I'm ready. Are, are you ready for it? Okay. Question number one: If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Ooh, um, I think it would be to speak every language, so I could speak to people anywhere in the world. That's mine as well. That's a really good, good choice. One. Yeah. What was the last TV show that you binge watched? I watched an awful lot of Gavin and Stacey over Christmas. I started oh, off with this so Christmas good. special. <laughs> I just got sucked right back in. What was the last book that you read? Ooh, um, I'm currently in the middle of, it's called Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont by an mm-hmm. author that I think is quite underknown. She's called Elizabeth Taylor and it's wonderful. Ooh, amazing. All right, adding it to the list. And what would you say is your favorite genre of music? Ooh, do you know what? I have been 
listening to your recap episode last night and um, I heard about the BuzzFeed Beyonce quiz so I was immediately checking that out and I found out that I am apparently lemonade era Beyonce which was wonderful news. <laughs> excellent. That I was really happy excellent. with that result. That is that, that is our hope from that episode Personally, really. I think Beyonce should be her own genre of music. Yeah. Exactly that's that's my genre. Yeah that's I'm I mean, quite into old school Sean Paul also. Oh. I'd say they can they go well together. <laughs> that is the greatest answer. Um, if the world was going to end tomorrow, what would your last meal be? Oh, ah, that's really tricky. It might be spaghetti bolognese. Yeah. Solid, solid choice. Yeah, very solid. Thank you. <laughs> Where is your next dream travel destination? I'm actually thinking about going to New York in the summer because my sister is traveling over there. She's going to be there for a few months, so I might take my four-year-old son and go out, oh. check out Central Park and the Big Dinosaur Museum. Oh, amazing. It's the best. I love that museum. Okay, coffee or tea? Ooh, coffee. Good. This is the only <laughs> question where there's a wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> Could not get through the day without coffee. And finally, uh, all important, Brittany or Christina? Brittany. No need for hesitation. That is just an immediate Brittany. Well, I think it's safe to say that you aced the speed round. Oh, thank you so much. I was torn on the coffee or tea. My dad actually owns a tea room, so I feel like I'm letting him down on that side. But uh, He'll be shocked when he hears this interview. <laughs> there we go. Revelations already. Uh, part two, of course, why we're here is to chat to you about donor insights at Oxfam and the incredible research that you've just released. So yes. um, really to kick us off with this, Tilly, it would be great as Oxfam's head of partnership insight. Can you give us a brief overview of your primary responsibilities in this role? Of course. So I'm part of a small team of three, which is part of the wider philanthropy and partnerships division. And we look after three different audiences. That's philanthropists, trust and foundations, and our corporate partners. So our remit is really to understand those audiences as well as we possibly can and from that, build the best relationships with them. So we undertake research projects like the ones that I'm speaking to you about today, where we go out and conduct interviews, speak face-to-face, -face, really get to know people. Then we come back and analyze that and the other big part of our work is working with the fundraisers to really implement those findings. So we'll be consulting with them on what their strategy should be, thinking about our communications, the events that we put on. Are they really engaging those audiences in the most effective way? Mm -hmm. I, I think, Tilly, when I first uh, came out and met your research team, I was pretty floored by the uh, depth and rigor that you apply to kind of insights about your audience and really, really delighted that you're sharing some of that with yeah. the public. And um, as you will know, but the listeners won't yet. We have a really exciting research project that we're working on together um, that will be released yes. later this year. Uh, so we want to hear more about the research. But before we jump into what you found, um, could you give us a bit of background on what the brief was and the actual research process that you went through for this particular project? Of course. So when it started a couple of years ago, income had been steady, but reasonably flat for a couple of years and we were working with really amazing individuals really exciting organizations but we just had this hunch that perhaps we didn't know them as well as we possibly could we weren't consistently bringing them closer and giving them the very best experience of their philanthropy with Oxfam so we were really basing decisions on what we thought they wanted rather than we just had this crazy madcap idea of we could just ask them. So that's what we did. We went out. We want them to enjoy their giving. We want their philanthropy to be as rewarding for them as it possibly can be because that's the whole point. Yeah. 
um, apart from the wonderful good that they do in the world. Yeah. Like, that's a big part of it. So we, the brief was really to understand their world, to get to know their motivations, their expectations, and how those expectations were living up to their experiences, not just with Oxfam, but in their philanthropy more widely. So we started off with desk research. We wanted to not repeat anything that's already out there, but really build on it. And then we started the interviews. So we did more than 60 in-depth interviews with wealth managers, philanthropists, experts, trusts and foundations. And we also spoke to our colleagues at Oxfam. So internally, we didn't we don't work in isolation in the philanthropy and partnerships team. It takes a lot of cooperation from everybody in the building. And we really wanted to understand the internal context that we were working in here too. That's fantastic. We're so excited to have you on the show because this is kind of our podcast in, in a research format. And this is such a nice um, kind of partnership and way to explore what donors want. And it's so great that you just directly asked them and uh, it kind of took that in house. That's very, very cool. So how, I mean, in, internally at Oxfam, I know the research will have just been released by the time um, this podcast comes out. But internally, um, how did you find the results? Was it surprising? Was it confirming of what you already knew? Um, I don't think there was anything that came out that was kind of shockingly unexpected. (laughs) And as you say, a lot of the things that we found are things that are coming out through your podcast as well. So that's been really interesting. When I've been listening along, I kind of feel like I'm playing audience insight bingo where, aha, (laughs) that fits into this trend or, ooh, that fits this pattern. So it's really interesting. It's definitely not just the people we spoke to, but as you say, it's something that's being experienced across the sector. And you've had a lot of international people that you've interviewed. So I think it's something that's wider even than the UK. Yeah. Yeah, So there wasn't anything that came as a huge shock, but I think the reason that the fundraisers had faith that our results really were pretty accurate was because they echoed conversations that they'd Mm -hmm. had with their supporters over the years, or just a feeling kind of an intuition that they had. So that sort of collective intuition that the fundraisers had in their teams hadn't really had the chance to be shared or even articulated and definitely hadn't been tested Mm -hmm. before. So the scope of, as you say, the number of interviews that we did, the range of people that we spoke to, it meant that we were able to draw some really strong conclusions and even to look forward and make predictions about what we think might happen in the sector in the future. So it's just that difference between having credible evidence versus the gut feeling. It's, um, yeah, it's been something that's been so useful for us to point to as we've proven this now. And it means that we can influence to make some of the changes that we want to see happen. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach to this is the rigor that you apply to your research process. And uh, I think it's so easy in this space to think about philanthropy, especially from individuals as being highly personal, Mm -hmm. extremely unique and difficult to sort of generalize about. But in fact, your research has shown that there are certain things that you can see happening across the space. Can you give us a headline summary of what you discovered in the research? Absolutely. So as you say, we had a huge amount of data and it's been brilliant to have that kind of rich, nuanced knowledge that we've drawn on for the reports. But I can definitely try and sum that up for you in terms of the most important things that stood out. I would say the first thing to talk about would be learning and expertise. So there are two sides to that, really. In terms of the individuals, the commitment that they're giving to really learning and going to workshops, they're talking to their networks, they're putting themselves through seminars, 
the commitment to quite nitty gritty technical issues like monitoring and evaluation or measuring impact, they're really putting the time in to have that base of knowledge. And the reason is to make their giving as effective as possible so that they can have the biggest impact. And of course, in trusts and foundations, that's really important as mm -hmm. well. And we're seeing the level of expertise and knowledge among their staff is really incredible. Lots of those staff at um, foundations have actually come from the NGO world, so they're more than able to understand exactly what it is we're doing, why we're doing it, and to look and see what's going well and what isn't, which brings us to their expectations on the people they fund to also have that commitment to learning and constantly improving. So they want to see that you're on top of things when noticing when things are going right, but also noticing when things are going wrong, acknowledging it gathering that learning, putting it into practice, not just in that program or project, but more widely in everything else you do, and ideally sharing it across the sector to kind of bring everyone up instead of keeping it to yourself. So the idea that learning will be part of collaboration across the sector and between organizations rather than competing against each other. Yeah. So learning, I would say, would be the first one. Um, the second would probably be involvement. So, and I know that this is something that's come up on the podcast before, the level of expertise that these audiences have, they've got so much more to give than just funding, yeah. and they want to give more than just their money. So the model where a charity might go out, pitch a project or a program, take the funding, and that's the extent of the relationship, it's really a relic now. It just doesn't apply. So people are looking for real partnerships where they can contribute something, the expertise of the organization is used as well, and together they can build something stronger than what either of them could have done alone. So involvement, learning, and then the last one is probably transparency, which has been a really painful lesson that Oxfam has learned very publicly in the last year, but it's just absolutely essential. And again, it's about acknowledging the fact that these audiences are really clued up they understand that the work we're doing is complicated. It's not going to be straightforward. And if we try to report back in a way that's simplified or glosses over the challenges that are absolutely inevitable, it just damages the relationship and does not build that trust. So transparency would I, would be the third thing I'd point to. Interesting. Yeah. And definitely echoes a lot of what we've heard um, through what donors mm -hmm. want. Um, I'm curious, Tilly, because one... Uh, sort of thing we get flagged up um, by our clients, but by listeners, fundraisers as well, is they always worry that when they do speak to donors or have conversations with them, that they're saying one thing, but that their behavior might be different or that they might want something else. Um, how do you, uh, in your interview process and your research process, how do you try to overcome that, the fact that um, they might be telling you what you want to hear and not how they really feel? We did have some of those concerns early on, and one of the things we did to address it was make sure we spoke to a really wide range of people. So as well as speaking to our supporters, we actually went out and spoke to people that have never engaged with Oxfam, some of whom openly said to us they never would engage with Oxfam, because we wanted to see like, the view of Oxfam from every angle. We wanted to have a really clear, objective view of how we're perceived, not just by those that are closest to us and like us, but by everybody. So that was one of the things we put in place. And then 
I think it's the beauty of having the time for the conversation to develop. So these interviews were at least an hour long. Many of them went on for longer than that, which really gives you time to dig beyond what people might say they want to thinking through really clear real life examples and seeing if that matches. And when there is disparity, we could really explore that and see why people might be saying one thing and doing another. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's actually really helpful yeah. I think, point for thinking about all kinds of discussions people might be having with their donors. Definitely. And um, going off of that, have you had any responses or feedback so far from the people that you interviewed? So from the donors or just the general external stakeholders um, that you spoke to for this research? What's, and what's that been like? Yes, we have. So we, as soon as we sort of drew our conclusions together and were thought about what our findings were, we were really wanted to be accountable and feed that back to the people who were generous enough to give us their mm-hmm. time. So they were really happy to be listened to. I think one of the things that surprised us was how keen people were to have these conversations compared to when we were trying to get meetings for <laughs> um, general catch-up with fundraisers. Wow. <laughs> the fact that it was just a conversation and research was actually seemed to be really appealing to people. They were very keen to talk. So I think the first thing was people wanted to have this conversation. They want to tell us what they think and they want to see things improve. Um, They were really happy when we fed back to see how their own thoughts and experiences were reflected more widely among their peers, because I think networking is another pattern that we're seeing. People love comparing their experiences, seeing what's going well, seeing what what mistakes other people have made or where where they can learn from their networks, from people that have got similar ambitions. Mm -hmm. And the last was people were happy to the fact that we're listening and that we're gathering this learning, but the most excitement was around, and what are you going to do with it next? So we were really clear about um, staying in touch with them and sharing examples of how we're putting that insight into Mm -hmm. practice. And can you give us any of those examples? Are there things that you are doing that's taking what you've learned from the research and putting it into practice across Oxfam? Yeah, definitely. So there were some things that we could put into place reasonably quickly once we knew how important they were. So if we go back to the main learnings, thinking about transparency, it's reasonably straightforward to adapt our reports and our communications to be more open once we knew how important Mm -hmm. that was. Um, Other things that we've changed in terms of our reporting, it was interesting. It came out from the interviews that lots of our supporters have quite strong business backgrounds and they're carrying over some of the expectations and the standards from the business world to their interactions with charities. So we had someone who offered to take one of our reasonably standard reports from a country Mm -hmm. project, go over it with a red pen and circled absolutely everything that he saw as charity jargon or spin or this isn't clear, why is this number so round, how did you select these people? And he gave us, by point of comparison, some of his business reports. And the disparity between the two of them was so interesting. Oh my gosh, that is an amazing person to have, you know, on board for you. It's been so helpful. So yeah, looking at those side by side has really given us a chance to see where we can meet some of those standards, make sure we're speaking the right language for people. Some of it is just issues of phrasing that 
NGOs speak their own kind of mad jargon with lots and lots of acronyms, and we could address that. But also giving detail about things we didn't really know people would be interested in. So details of how exactly we're measuring impact and why we chose those indicators. People are really engaged at a level that we just hadn't appreciated. Mm-hmm. And I bet the the donors are, you know, they, they value that so much to see it being put into such tangible changes and, and to be able to use that red pen. That's such a great role to give them. Exactly. So then in terms of involvement, we've put together some events that hopefully make people feel that they're part of Oxfam and we're working together as opposed to we feel like we have all the answers and we'd just like to take your money. (laughs) So, for example, we've had a new CEO recently and before Christmas in the recruitment phase, we put together an event where supporters could come and speak to the recruiting agency to say what qualities they felt would be most important in that person, what kind of experience should they have, where should they come from. And that was really valuable. Mm -hmm. And now that he's just started, he's now as part of his induction, again, going to have an event where he meets with philanthropy and partnership supporters to hear their thoughts about the direction of Oxfam, the future, because that's a process that he's going through learning about the organization and thinking which direction it's going to go in. And instead of that being something that we decide internally and then just announce, our supporters are going to be part of that and they have the opportunity to feed in and give their thoughts, which is just, I think, as valuable for us as it is to them and their sense of being involved with Oxfam and knowing what's going on. Hugely. I mean, I think it goes back to your point around uh, if you want to know what donors think, you should ask them what they think. Yeah. Um, I know. It's, it's just a revelation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're yeah. really creating the space for that to happen, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, Tilly, I want to ask you about something that we pulled out of the report um, in our preparation for this podcast, and that's really certainly been on, been on our mind a lot. There's, to paraphrase uh, something that you mentioned in the report, you talked about the fact that Oxfam doesn't really have a clear stance on working with philanthropists, and that many of your colleagues feel like they don't understand that audience well, and that some are even skeptical that, that philanthropists could share Oxfam's goal of reducing inequality. Has your report shifted their perception in any way in terms of your colleagues at Oxfam? And I'd just love to hear you speak to that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as well as going back to the people that we interviewed, a really big follow-up to once we'd done the analysis and had the findings was to share that internally with our colleagues. So there's lots of ways that we've done that going into other team meetings and doing talks at lunchtime, um, putting it in. We've created a little mini site on the internal website. There's just lots of ways that we're trying to be more open about who our audience is and what they've told us. So it's been really useful to speak to our colleagues and understand how our audience was viewed. So as well as hearing what the perceptions were, we definitely heard some of those misconceptions, for example, Mm -hmm. around the fact that this audience wouldn't be interested in addressing inequality because somehow they've made their money through the system and they love the system. It just doesn't match the facts at all. And inequality is, in fact, an issue that our audience is really concerned about and really excited about some of the ways that they can work with us on that. So hearing those misconceptions meant that we were able to then address them and use the evidence to disprove them. And I think that's been a really useful step. But also knowing where some of our allies are around the building, because Oxfam's a really big organization and you don't always know what everybody's thinking, what everybody's doing, what everybody's talking about. And it really flagged to us that there are spaces where people are really excited to work with our audience and they've thought of opportunities that we just hadn't Mm -hmm. known about before. So lots of different 
sort of green shoots have come up from those conversations. But we know it's an ongoing mission for us to speak to the organization really clearly about who our donors are, what's important to them, and the fact that actually their mission is the same as our mission and it's something we can work towards Mm -hmm. together. We're really glad that you included that in the report. Another specific insight that we wanted to explore with you, um, which I think actually will be really applicable to other large organizations and particularly large INGOs who are listening, is the fact that a common trend in your research showed that donors really, you know, they um, they respond really well to the credibility of the Oxfam brand and the recognition that that brings. But at the same time, they're not able to specifically articulate what Oxfam does. And that was a very common sentiment. <laughs> um, which we know from yeah, we, yeah, we that. from experience with our clients, and you know it, it, that is definitely a shared uh, challenge by by really large organizations that do so much. So we're wondering um, from the interviews and from those conversations, what are you doing to resolve that and articulate your case for support in a different way? Yeah, I think that's definitely an ongoing mm-hmm. struggle and it's this isn't the first time we heard it and it's actually not just an issue with this audience we know from our market insight team that it's something that the public yeah. struggle with as well articulating what exactly it is that Oxfam does like I'm sure you're doing something good I couldn't tell you exactly what it is and I think it's on us to communicate better why we're taking a holistic approach, why we're doing campaigning as well as development, as well as humanitarian, and really explaining more clearly how those different strands influence each other and work together and why we think that's the most Mm -hmm. effective approach. So I think there's definitely improvements that we can make around how we communicate, especially with this audience that is so engaged and so willing to learn. Um, We also heard about the idea that poverty is such an insurmountable problem. It's always been there. It's always going to be there. So I think there's more that we can do, again, in just terms of how we communicate around the impact that we're having, the progress that's being made. So I think there's a lot we can do in terms of our messaging. But also, I mean, it's beyond the remit of our team and this project to redesign Oxfam and make it a specialist organization. But we do Mm -hmm. have this new CEO coming in and we know that he's really looking across the organization at what's working, what's not. And he's doing this listening. I think he's going to make big changes. I'm not sure what they will be yet, but I hope that we'll be able to bring the audience along in that decision making process so that they understand better who we are, who we're going to be and how those decisions were taken. Fantastic. And you alluded to this a bit earlier, um, but there has obviously been a lot of press in 2018 around Oxfam, uh, not all of it positive, around transparency and ethics when working with local partners. Um, But a real key insight from your research, and again, something that we've heard from time to time on our podcast, is donors' desire to be kept aware of the challenges and mistakes and learn alongside their grantees. So how has the research impacted the way you communicate with your donors about challenges, both those that are covered by the press, uh, as well as other challenges that the public may not be aware of? I think to say not all of it positive is an incredibly generous summary of the media coverage that Oxfam received last year. So that was very kind and gentle of you. Um, I think it's just been such a hard lesson to learn, but we really, really have learned it. I think absolutely everyone, not just in our philanthropy team, but across the building is so aware now of being as transparent and upfront as possible. And we've seen the damage Mm -hmm. that happens when that's not done. So I think that lesson has really been learned. And some of the ways that we're doing it, beyond the really clear response that we've had to those 
incidents that happened um, in terms of our general reporting with this audience. It's things like looking at a report that's come from a country and thinking from the donor's perspective, does this really tell the whole picture? We heard about people worrying that we'd have KPIs that cover everything, including the kitchen sink, and we'd just pick and choose mm, what we yeah. felt was most impressive. So we're really aware now of exactly how <laughs> on it this audience is and that the way to build relationships is to dig deeper, to really look at the raw data, see exactly what we are measuring. And if there's something that's surprising or even disappointing, like that's almost the thing that we want to flag because looking at it together and bringing in the experience, the skills, the expertise of the audience to look at why something might not be performing as we expected and address it together is how you build a stronger partnership and how you improve things. Giving a glossy picture that just indicates what's going well doesn't actually mm -hmm. build that relationship. So I think we've really learned that tough lesson. And then I think we're also being much more open about challenges inside the organization and with colleagues. So where we have trouble getting information, previously we might have tried to buy a bit more time or find an alternative, um, like try and find the information somewhere else and not explained all of those internal sort of complications and machinations to the donor. But what we found is when they want to know really specific examples and we're having trouble getting hold of the country team because there's a national holiday or people understand that they're working in some of these trusts and foundations are just as large, just as complicated, just as bureaucratic and international as us. And they have a lot of sympathy for where we have those challenges. So we're just being more open about everything. And that's, I think it sometimes feels scary to do, but we've really seen, A, the damage that can happen when you don't do that, and B, how well people respond when you're really just upfront yeah. and honest and transparent. So I think the more that there are examples of people doing that and it feeling scary, but then having a positive reaction from the donor, I think that creates a virtuous cycle where it's much more likely to happen and people get used to it. So it's been a really difficult year, but I feel like we're in a much more positive space and much more confident now about sharing what we might have previously seen as something that was a bit tricky or a bit disappointing. We know that that's an opportunity to learn and share, improve the trust that an organization has in us to be upfront and honest. That's a fantastic yeah. answer. <laughs> that's brilliant. Tilly, thank you so much. And, and thank you for being so honest with us. I think I mean, this, this research, A, it's so wonderful that it's, you know, going to be shared with the sector and that it, this is really coming from a collaborative spirit. And I think that will also play into this, you know, new, fresh, fresh new year um, perspective that Oxfam is, um, is having, which yeah. is just really wonderful. And, and so, I mean, our last question for you is, is really a summary question, which is the listeners of this podcast are organizations and fundraisers looking to apply donor insights into tangible actions. And, you know, they show up at their desk on Monday morning and what should they do differently based on what we know about donors. And you've already mentioned this involvement and this learning and this transparency as, as kind of the three pillars of, of your research conclusions. But yeah. what is the one key thing that you would like to share with other fundraisers and other organizations out there? And the one thing that you would want them to walk away with this research uh, learning and you know motivating them to perhaps shift their practices in some way? I think it would just be to, if you want to know something, you can just ask. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple, but I think there was almost a sense 
a few years ago that we had to turn up to a first meeting knowing everything about that individual. We'd have a really long profile. We'd try and find out everything about what they could possibly be interested in, make a best guess and pitch something that would really sell to them immediately. Mm. And the mindset has just really changed. You know, we can turn up, have a conversation, ask them what they're interested in, ask them where their strengths are, what they could bring to the party. And it's just a completely different way of looking at things, just Mm. talking to people. It almost comes back to your principle that donors are people Mm -hmm. too. And (laughs) really willing to talk. We've got the same ambitions. We've got the same goals. So conversations about how we get there is just a part of it. It's not embarrassing to not have all the answers. It's just a chance to bring in other people and see their perspectives and use their expertise. So yeah, I would say talking, talking is the answer. (laughs) I'm a big talker. (laughs) We are as well, but that's so wonderfully simple and inspiring. And it's so great that you're, you know, leading with that example and again, sharing these insights. And that's exactly why we wanted to do this podcast is because we can have those conversations and we just want to add to that echo chamber that, you know, of, of relationships and people to people. And, uh, you know, it can be a lot simpler than than we imagine that's it yeah Yeah. it's quite straightforward exactly amazing amazing well Tilly it's been wonderful to have you join us to all our listeners we really encourage you to uh, download Oxfam's research Mm -hmm. Um, it's been uh, fantastic for us to read and we know you're going to find it valuable as well and to keep an eye out for our research that we're doing together later this year looking at funders of women's rights and gender justice Um, and just really unbelievably grateful Tilly thank you so much for bringing your A-game to our podcast today thank you so much (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Donors Want. And a huge thank you to Tilly and the Oxfam team for their generous time and advice. We really encourage you to read their report, which you can find on their website, and we've included a link to it in the podcast description. And as always, we would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments or even requests for our second season. You can check us out online at impactandgrowth.com and say hello to us on Twitter. Our handle is at IG underscore advisors or come find us in London. Coming up next, we have a whole pipeline of great interviews. A few hints. One is a brilliant author and thought leader. Another is one of the UK's largest financial institutions. And that is all I will reveal for now. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.